Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends alike, welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books which bears the same name as our show. And I thank you for joining us. All of my books are available at our webpage, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Follow the link in the store to Amazon, where they are available in both paperback and ebook formats. In today's Cryptids in the News and History segment, Kevin is waiting in the wings with a fantastic modern-day Yeti sighting that he will be sharing with you and I. And in part two, I am going to recommend that you both acquire and wear an adult-sized diaper, because the story you are about to hear may just cause you to lose your carry-on luggage if you catch my drift. So bizarre is this tale that I must forewarn you to be prepared. And we will yet again wrap things up with some very interesting mail from listeners such as yourself. And before we set sail for today, may I offer up a big shout out and a grand thank you to some friends of mine who have been a great help along this road on which I travel. Putting this podcast together and just being good old blokes in this Bigfoot community of which I am now a part. Tony Merkel of the Confessionals podcast was very helpful to me, and for that I am most grateful. Brett and James of the Lost River Legend Show were instrumental in helping us put this podcast together. And of course, my buddy Wes from Sasquatch Chronicles. These people are great people. I'm happy I've met them. And in this small Bigfoot community, I have to say I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without such people by my side. So I thank all of you guys. They all have great shows, and you should be supporting and listening to them. And my heartfelt prayer is that God bless them all. And now, allow me to pull the pin and toss this pineapple into my <laughs> brother's foxhole. <laughs> Kevin, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. Quite an introduction there. I don't have my diaper on. I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should allow people to hit the pause button to go down to their local pharmacy and buy a box. <laughs> yeah, this. All right. What I have in store tonight is one of those freaky deaky stories, and there's plenty of them. But everything is grist for the mill on this podcast, so we might as well uh, have at it, have at it, and everything else as it comes as it comes to mind. So what do you what do you yeah. got, what do you got cooking today, bro? Yeah, so uh, I saw this story. Uh, you know, you probably saw it. A lot of a lot of our listeners might have seen it as well. We're going to talk about it a little bit and kick it around. So this story uh, came out initially as a tweet believe it or not, from the Indian Army back on April 9th. So just a couple of months ago here. Um, so so gentlemen from the Indian Army tweeted out that they uh, had found Yeti footprints in Nepal. And then uh, different, um, um, you know, newspapers, magazines published it. You know, the story I'm going to quote came from uh, Dina Paul and Tanya Dutta of the Washington Post. So, you know, they published, the headline was, Indian Army reports it found Yeti footprints in Nepal. Skepticism ensues. The mountaineering team says it turned over its evidence to experts for evaluation. So, you know, and then that's, that's the whole headline. And then they go on and say, breaking news, Yeti are real. And they're on the move, at least according to the Indian Army, which said Monday that its mountaineering expedition team stumbled upon a set of mysterious footprints in Nepal. 
Wow. No, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, no, we're not confirming that this elusive snowman actually exists, but while the prince might be a fraud, the report seems to be real. So, and, and the Indian Army went on, too, and they tweeted uh, photographs, which you can find in periodicals like the Washington Post and others online, photographs of these giant footprints. So, you know, what the, what the Army actually tweeted from their official account, you know, so these aren't individuals, this is the Indian Army Twitter account, that an expedition team had come across mysterious footprints of mythical beast Yeti, measuring, get this, 32 inches by 15 inches. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, giant, you know, giant uh, footprints. And they found them close to a place called Makalu Base Camp. Whoa. And that was on April 9th, 2019. Now, now they, let me ask you something. I'm not putting you on the spot. Maybe you, maybe you read this, maybe you didn't. Yeah. Is, it, is Makalu Base Camp uh, one of the camps near the bottom of Everest? No, it's in the same general area, though, from what I can tell. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, and when I was researching around the story and and looking back at, uh, you know, some of the Yeti facts, uh, is that, uh, you know, I did learn that going all the way back to the early 1900s, this area of Makalu appears to be a bit of a hotbed for Yeti. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of the sightings are there. Now, is this is this where Yeti was purportedly first sighted in this area well, of Nepal? Yeah, well, certainly um, in Everest, you know, there are sightings uh, of uh, Yeti or the abominable snowman. Um, and, and that term, by the way, the abominable snowman was coined all the way back in 1921. Right. So, you know, the, the, the myth of the creature has been around for quite a while. Um, but it's been seen on Everest, around the various camps at Everest, up to like 25,000 feet. There's reports of seeing either the beast itself or footprints from the beast. Well, when you're talking about... What did you say the size of these tracks were? 30-something inches long? Exactly. 32 inches by 15 inches. Oh, my God. This thing has to be freaking a, a, a genuine monster. Yeah. Now, you know, they, they talk about it in the research on Yeti and uh, the abominable snowman. You know, that he's like seven or eight feet tall. And then there are reports that as these footprints melt into snow, if you can imagine... They may actually get a little bit bigger okay. than they appear. You know, the Army didn't tweet that, but as I went out and did the research, <laughs> I did come across things like that. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense because uh, as the melt occurs, they do enlarge if nothing else is there to uh, to cover them. It would appear that way. Even my own boot prints in the snow, uh, if you get the sun beating down and nothing's falling on top of them, the print does uh, become exaggerated. Yeah, a little exaggerated, but it's not like it gets three times bigger or something like that. You know, right? it's interesting that you say this, and and I hope I'm not uh, falsifying what I'm about to say in any way. I believe in my reading of Sanderson's book, uh, The Abominable Snowman Come to Life, which is a fairly old publication, there was an account in there somewhere— of, I believe it was Indian Army soldiers. Uh, now, this was while India was still under the rule of uh, Great Britain. And there was a report of some men or a group of men that had gone out to string some type of line. I don't know if they were talking about telephone line, telegraph, but a crew went out and they disappeared. None of them were ever found. Oh, wow. So a, a uh, party of soldiers went out uh, under orders from their commander, and they came across a monstrous hair-covered beast. I believe the story said it was 10 or 12 feet tall. Whatever the height was, it was gigantic. They caught it sleeping in a cave, and they shot it. Oh, wow. Uh, now— as I recall, the story was reported by a British officer to his commander, and I think Sanderson 
commented that at that point in time, as in many places, a man's word was his bond, and that this British officer would in no way, shape, or form have concocted a story to report to his superior uh, under any circumstances, and in particular about the shooting of a 10- or 12-foot-tall hairy monster in a cave. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, again, going back on the research for the background of this story, there's a lot of notable folks that have seen uh, the Yeti or reported to have seen the Yeti through the years. You know, I, I noted two of them here in the research that are worth talking about. So one going all the way back to 1925. Uh, someone uh, named Tombazi, uh, their family name, uh, was a photographer and member of the Royal Geographical Society. And he wrote that he saw the creature at about 15,000 feet near a place called Zerm- Zimu Glacier. Wow. And he, and he later wrote that he observed the creature from about 200 to 300 yards away for about a minute. And then the quote from him goes as follows. Unquestionably, the figure in outline was exactly like a human human being, walking upright and stopping occasionally to pull at some dwarf rhododendron bushes. It showed up dark against the snow, and as far as he could make out, wore no clothing. So pretty pretty interesting. And then later on, about two hours later, he, he and his companions were heading down the mountain and they saw uh, uh, giant uh, uh, footprints, you know, wow. in the snow. That's just incredible. And I stand my ground. All of these people are not imbeciles who have no idea what they're looking at. This guy, this guy is a member of the Geographical Society. He must have been out there mapping well, yeah, might. well, and then, yeah, definitely exploring and documenting what they see. And then another one, back in the same era, in 1937, someone named Frank S. Smith, uh, he photographed the alleged Yeti footprints, and they were printed in Popular Science back in 1952. So certainly he was reputable enough as a photographer that Popular Science picked up the photographs and printed them in 1952. So pretty interesting. Hey, Kev, uh, before all our listeners get the same idea I just got (laughs) and buy up every copy available on the planet, why don't you write that down and put it on a list? I'm going to try to scour the globe and get a copy of that that, uh, magazine if we can. Oh, absolutely. There's so many yeah. things out there today that I think we could be we could dig a copy up and maybe take a look at these photographs. I'd love to see them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> Certainly pretty cool. Wow, that's incredible. And then, you know, the other thing that I, I noticed doing the background research is certainly a plethora of sightings of the beast. You know, again, going all the way back to the early 1900s, even some in the late 1800s, again, by reputable folks that published their findings. Yeah. And uh, and then the other thing is they've done a lot of different DNA analysis on different uh, parts of creatures, you know, bones, skeletons, scalp, fur, and things like that. And it was a little frustrating going through the research because you would find, you know, uh, one of the researchers... Uh, I think his name was Sykes. He did uh, some some extensive DNA analysis, and he found that the DNA tied back to a prehistoric polar bear that um, was less, you know, reported back in, in the Ice Age in Norway or what would be Norway today. And, you know, so that was really exciting back when he found, when he did that research. But then you read on, you do some more research, and you find that someone else tested the same Uh, samples only a couple of years later and found it to be some other kind of bear that's relatively common, you know, in Nepal, but doesn't walk on its hind legs or anything like that. So it's it's quite interesting uh, how much how many different reports there are of different types of uh, either medical analysis of the samples or full on DNA analysis of the samples, but nothing uh, ever uh, that was quite conclusive. Yeah. Now, it sounds like uh, 
those samples were that of a variety of different bears from different ages. Uh, and this is what goes on out there. You know, people have these things locked up in their hut in Tibet, and uh, somebody finally convinces them to give them a piece so they can have it analyzed, and it turns out to be the skull cap of a yak or, <laughs> so, or, their, or their mother-in-law. And, <laughs> sorry, all your mother-in-laws out there. Uh, but, no, I mean, that's just the way the story seems to go, you know. But, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but it is it is interesting, again, how many sightings there are, how well the sightings are documented. There's always uh, 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 photographs, including in this last sighting and report in April of the giant footprints. You know, and again, it's it's in very cold places up on a mountain, typically, uh, and it's a, a barefoot uh, type of footprint. You know, B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R, of course. Right, right. Yeah, there's no doubt, and and any hunter worth their salt, any outdoorsman who's who's done any tracking, uh, including uh, those that I've spoken to, uh, there's a distinct uh, pattern to the paw print of a bear, uh, and in fact, most hunters who hunt bear can tell basically the size of the bear based on the print. So these people are well-schooled in what they're looking at, and they're not going to mistake uh, a barefoot uh, humanoid print for that of a, a polar bear, a grizzly bear, a black bear, a red bear, or any other kind of bear. They know what they're looking at. Absolutely. And again, like if you if you look at uh, uh, Tambazi, who I mentioned, you know, member of the Royal Geographical Society, he's not going to report that he saw something like a Yeti if there's any chance that it was a bear. Right. He'd look, right? I mean, he'd look he like looked a at it. Yeah, exactly. And which which harkens back to what I said about this British officer's report to his commander uh, about the killing of this giant beast in the cave by these Indian conscripts. Yeah. He's just not going to put his neck out there if it didn't happen. But uh, on the flip side of the coin, it was a truthful encounter. And in all truthfulness, he reported it. Right. And, and of course, this report that I'm talking about today in Cryptids in the News came from a tweet from the Indian Army. You know, and folks may be sitting out there if they've never been to India uh, never seen members of the Indian Army. You know, I'm not an expert on the Indian Army, but I've been to India probably eight times, as you know, Bill, most recently, about three weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, you, you run into the Indian Army when they're around, you know, some of the national treasures, like I went up this time to see the Taj Mahal. And these guys are guys and gals are all business. You know, they're... Uh, they're they're scanning you down while they're holding automatic weapons and uh, not like they're going to be joking around about seeing Yeti and tweeting it. Yeah, you know? no, there's no doubt about it. Well, yeah. I'll tell you something, man. That was an excellent, excellent report on the Yeti. And uh, I'm sure this isn't the, the first. Uh, this won't be the last time uh, we'll be digging into that creature for sure. All right. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. So now we'll all get ready for you to scare the bejesus out of us. Huh? <laughs> yeah, well, let me do something in preparation. <laughs> My dear listeners, little did you know when you tuned into this podcast today that you were about to enter a realm, a realm beyond all space and time. It is, in fact, a place which you will never forget. You are about to enter the Bigfoot Zone. <laughs> yes, I hope you have your diaper on, because the story that I'm about to convey to you is so off the charts that, frankly, I don't even know what to say about it. And yet, Ernest Smigowski got a little more than he bargained for while on a routine sales trip to Spokane, Washington. I invite you to follow along as Ernest spins his fantastic tale. 
I visited Spokane on a sales trip in the summer of 2004. I was then, as I am now, employed by a major electronics distribution firm that had a number of clients and prospects in the region. This was a four-day trip, which, depending on the client, typically involves a little whining and dining, as well as other activities. A fair amount of my clients are younger and game for just about anything. I have hiked, skied, and fished with more than a few of them. But on this particular day, I had no takers. So I was braving the Quartz Mountain Lookout Trail alone. I was told that there were some fantastic views of the surrounding area once you reach the fire lookout station. Now as I begin, I must tell you that this isn't called Quartz Mountain for nothing. In fact, the mountain is predominantly made up of quartz. In the world of the paranormal, quartz and limestone are said to be engines for weird and strange occurrences. I mention this now because what I am about to unveil to you and your readers is very strange indeed. I began my day's hike up to the fire tower. There are actually a number of trails that you can take up the mountain, all of which vary on the level of difficulty. Relatively speaking, the first three quarters of the hike was uneventful. It was on the last quarter where the trail started to tighten up and became closely flanked by hanging branches and trees. Once I had made it to the top, I climbed up into the fire tower to have a look around and eat a bite of food. And from that point, four lakes were visible sprawling across the surrounding area. I knew all of their names, Spirit, Hauser, Newman, and Liberty. I was checking out the lay of the land with my binoculars when my eyes locked onto something white moving around on a grassy field far below me. It was too far to tell for certain, but it appeared to be a small girl wearing a white dress with no shoes on. She was frolicking in this field just like any other small child would. I watched her spin and run around the field for almost 20 minutes, and I kept saying to myself that at any moment, someone would surely come into the field to get her. I mean, she couldn't be out there alone, unless, of course, she had somehow gotten lost. Finally, my fatherly instincts kicked in, and I decided that I had to go down and try and locate her. What if she was really lost? She could die out here and nobody would know. I couldn't walk away from here without knowing she was okay. I estimated the distance between us and figured out which trail was the most direct before I departed from the fire station heading in her direction. Once I entered the trails, I could no longer keep an eye on her. It was a blind hike downhill, and I can only hope that I was heading in the right direction. <clears throat> a strong sense of urgency had welled up within me about this little girl, and I was going down the slope at a frantic pace, hoping that the forest would break open, revealing the field as quickly as possible. After about 30 minutes, the forest gave way and I entered a field. Immediately, I started to look in every direction, searching for the small child, but I didn't see her anywhere. I thought that maybe I had found the wrong field. I was about to continue onward when I heard what sounded like a little girl singing, but it was very faint. Frantically, I started to look around in every direction, when suddenly, standing far out in the field, was the little girl. 
I couldn't understand it. I had just looked in that same direction and saw nothing. There was nothing in this field to hide behind, yet there she was, dancing around as though she had been standing there all along. She couldn't have just run out there in a matter of seconds. For a moment, I could only stand where I was and question my own sanity. After a long moment, I yelled, little girl, are you lost? She didn't respond at all. She just kept skipping, dancing, and singing. I shouted again, taking care to raise my voice. Hey there, little girl, are you all right? Suddenly, she stopped dancing and just stood with her back to me. My hair is actually standing up as I am telling you this because what happens next is out of this world. That little girl wearing a white flowing dress and no shoes was perhaps 80 to 100 yards away from me. And she, she suddenly started to transform before my very eyes. The dress seemed to melt away from her as she grew and began to turn dark. I wanted to run, but I was frozen where I stood. There, right where that girl had been standing mere seconds ago, was a monster. I grabbed the sides of my head and fell to the ground. I thought that I must have had a stroke and I was going to die here, delusional and alone. All I could do was lie there in the grass, holding my head and trying to sort out the pieces of what was happening. After a time, I rolled onto my side and sat up. Once again, my eyes fell upon that monster as it walked away. It crossed the length of the field before disappearing into the trees. Even when it was gone, I remained where I was. Even now, I am unsure how long I sat there not being able to come to grips with what I had just seen. I spun my yarn quickly and with a great deal of personal shame. Oh, excuse me. At some moment, I managed to get back to my feet. I managed to get my feet back under me and made my way back to my car. That afternoon, I walked into a doctor's office. I wasn't sure of what I was going to say, but I had to make sure that I was okay. I was eventually called in and the doctor asked me what he could help me with. I spun my yarn quickly and with a great deal of personal shame. He told me that the mind can do funny things and then he asked me if I had been working long hours and traveling a lot. He must have thought I was off my rocker and popping some pills, and frankly, I couldn't blame him. Who would believe my story? The doctor wrote me a prescription for something to help me sleep, telling me to follow up with my regular doctor when I got back home. To this day, I cannot shake the events of that afternoon. It haunts me like a reoccurring nightmare. By the way, I neglected to tell you the name of that account is from volume one and it's called The Shapeshifter. <laughs> Pretty bizarre, isn't it? Boy, that's really bizarre. I, I don't know about anybody else in the audience, but when you were talking about that little girl in a white dress and it started to get a little creepy, I was just afraid that her twin sister from The Shining wasn't going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, uh, I kind of left it intact, the story as you heard it. But the description of this thing was not just a monster. It was a hair-covered monster of immense proportions walking away from him across the field. And it was the girl who, sh who what I believe, shapeshifted from the appearance of this little girl into this monster 
which just rocked his world and sent him to the ground holding his head. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, you know, we we hear and read about lots of these different accounts of uh, Bigfoot sightings that have to do something or appear to have something to do with like paranormal behavior, like this shape-shifting. And I, I think they fall into at least two different categories. So like this one, clearly, you know, uh, he said he was 80 to 100 yards away, right? And and he sees something transform from a little girl in a white dress barefoot into this giant hairy beast. So, you know, clearly that is a shape-shifting you know, encounter, a true shape-shifting encounter. And then we, of course, we hear of these other accounts where where someone sees uh, a Bigfoot and uh, it appears to disappear. And, you know, that, and that's often talked about in the same breath, but certainly appears to be different where it could just be, you know, that I've always thought that Bigfoot, you know, could just be so camouflaged. It could be a bit like, you know, one of the, uh, military snipers in the uh, ghillie suit where, you know, they lay down on the ground and appear to completely disappear just because they're so camouflaged, you know, and you could imagine that happening with a Bigfoot, you know, but that's not shape-shifting. It's just disappearing. Right. right. And I've, I have a number of accounts and, and you know, over time, we're going to get down to it and get, all, get them all out there. But Bigfoot seemingly gliding across the ground and leaving no tracks. Uh, oddities of every sort imaginable. Big Bigfoot uh, imaginable. Bigfoot coming out of uh, what appears to be a blur in 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 the sky or in space and just exiting out and walking away. All of these strange things, which to me is why I have my own theory uh, about the demonic realm mimicking the natural realm. Uh, If I've said that once, I've said it a dozen times. I think there's two different things going on here. I think we have some type of bizarre demonic uh, happening, crossing over and blurring uh, that which is real, which is the flesh and blood Bigfoot. Now, this guy... He saw this girl from way up at the fire tower with his binoculars and went down to check her out. When he got to the field, he said that she was nowhere to be seen, and then suddenly she was there where she hadn't been seconds before. So this is just so bizarre and so out-of-the-box freaky-deaky that I don't even know what to say about it, but... uh, Again, that's the uh, shapeshifter account from Volume Four of uh, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods sightings and encounters. Just an incredible, weird account. Yeah, I, I mean, and and that area, um, as you know, Bill, I lived there for about four years in uh, Eastern Washington, and and I don't know if you know this, but I've actually been to that fire tower in uh, Mount Spokane Park. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. I, uh, fortunately. I didn't have this kind of experience because it definitely would have scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. But, you know, that whole area of eastern Washington and northern Idaho and western Montana, pretty darn rural place. I mean, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but, you know, when I was out there uh, with my wife, my kids were little. And we were hiking one day up in northern Idaho. We were camping at a place called Priest Lake. And um, really... Kev, I got to stop you. Are you aware that I have an account in my new volume, uh, The Priest, which which occurs at Priest Lake? Okay. So you and I have never... You and I have never spoken no, about this. No, I've never this, told you this. And you're but, uh, just laying this on me here today. Go ahead. I didn't mean to yeah, interrupt yeah. you. Yeah, so, yeah. So we used to see some weird stuff, you know, when we're hiking around in the uh, mountains. Um, and it's really rural. You know, you have to be careful of not just bears, but grizzly bears. And, uh, and not just grizzly bears, but mountain lions or cougars were, you know, so rural up there. You have every kind of creature. And the creatures aren't afraid of you, generally speaking. So we would have these fire extinguisher size, uh, um, nasty canisters of bear spray, not like you can buy, 
you know, in a regular retail store these days. And, uh, you know, that was our hope uh, of defending ourselves because we wanted to be outdoors and we wanted to camp. And one day we were hiking along this trail up by Priest Lake and it looked like a deer had exploded. You know, so basically there was like no semblance of a deer, but you could recognize uh, like tufts of fur from the deer and bones of the deer with some of the uh, uh, skin and fur attached to it. But it was really like you had put a bomb inside of a deer and the deer had exploded. Wow. And we're coming along the trail and we see this and it was like, what the heck is this? And needless to say, you know, I had my daughter up in my backpack and uh, my wife's walking with me and we were like, okay, we better uh, turn around. You know, whatever's going on here is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Wow, that's incredible. And I just attributed it at the time, not just attributed it, but I knew how powerful grizzlies were. And, um, you know, maybe this grizzly just like tore into this thing and it was the equivalent of like the deer exploding. But, you know, we talk about this story today, this account today, and who knows what happened. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, and I want the audience to know uh, God's honest truth. Uh, there are many things that my brother and I talk about that we haven't discussed at all. In fact, most of what we talk about, we haven't discussed. Uh, this show is done pretty live, and uh, we kind of just set the stage before we uh, start recording as to generally what we're bringing to the table. But I had no idea that my brother was at Priest Lake uh, hiking when he found this deer. And I have an incredible paranormal Bigfoot encounter that we'll dig into uh, that occurred at Priest Lake. That is just so bizarre, Kev. And the fact that you told me you were at the fire tower (laughs) in the shapeshifter encounter. And I I didn't know that either. Yeah, you know, so um, we should tell the audience, too, you know, Although my brother and I uh, talk all the time and we're very close and, of course, I love him very much, uh, we live about 600 miles away from one another and we've lived as much as 3,000 miles away from each other. So, you know, when we do these recordings every week, we actually do them across Skype. Um, We're looking at one another and we're laughing together like we're right in the same room. But we are, uh, you know, these days we're about 600 miles apart. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... uh... That's really interesting. Wow. <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm almost speechless, which is hard for me to do. <laughs> but uh, that's what it's all about, the sharing of information. And uh, like I was telling you earlier about my buddies, uh, support their podcasts, support what we're doing. Uh, this is a tight-knit community filled with a lot of good people who are pouring their hearts and souls into this thing. And a tremendous amount of work uh, goes into getting something like this off the ground and keeping it running. So, again, check out the guys at The Confessionals, Sasquatch Chronicles, Lost River Legends, uh, and even my buddy Shannon Legros at Into the Fray. Uh, There's a lot of excellent information out there, and uh, you need to be partaking of all of it. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah, it's good stuff, Bill. I listen, uh, I listen to all of it. I was listening to uh, Lost River Legends last night. I was on a bike ride down the river trail here when a thunderstorm was coming in, and I was listening to a paranormal encounter while I was riding as fast as I could to get to shelter <laughs> with the <laughs> lightning around me, and it was pretty spectacular. You know, wow. So it's good, good stuff. Wow, that is incredible. All right, so is it time for some listener mail? We've, we've got some good ones this week. All right, lay it on me, bro. All right, here we go. Uh, first letter, uh, first mail, we're going down to Luisa in Mexico. Wow. Yeah. Um, I love your show and wanted you to know that my grandfather had a sighting of what you call Bigfoot many years ago in the mountains of southern Mexico. Have you heard of any other such sightings in all of your research? Thank, thanks to you, and God bless you. Wow. Holy moly, Mexico. Mexico. Well, you know, uh, I did hear 
uh, I read in a book, and I've, in fact, I think, it, again, it was, uh, it may have been Sanderson's book. Uh, he was pretty all-inclusive of a lot of different things happening around the planet. I think I did read of some fairly old uh, supposed Bigfoot encounters in Mexico. Uh, I don't know much geographically about the country, but it is immense. And, you know, it's kind of like when we talk about Bigfoot uh, as a city dweller. If you're going through life with blinders on, thinking that I here in Long Island and you being over in North Carolina, that this is what the rest of the country is like uh, as far as being heavily populated with a lot of roads and businesses, uh, you would be sadly mistaken. I'm sure this woman's grandfather was living out in the sticks in an area of Mexico that there was probably not a lot of people in. And if he had passed it down to his grandchildren, I don't know too many grandfathers that are looking to look like an imbecile uh, before their children. I mean, it's one thing if you're telling a ghost story and you have some yucks about it. But just from what little she said, it seems like, you know, it must have been some type of sincere statement uh, that she would pass it on to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, in terms of other creatures, right, we've we've heard of uh, the chupacabras. Maybe we'll do an episode on those one of these days down in that part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but pr- pretty interesting stuff. Great sighting. And I agree with you, you know, not likely that the grandfather is going to pass on some fable about that. And, you know, one of the greatest things about listener mail and people, if you go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, there's a link there with a contact, uh, a contact link where we're encouraging you and asking you to reach out with us with anything you've seen, any questions you've had, anything you topics of discussion. Uh, we're certainly going to do our due diligence uh, over a period of time to really get to the bottom of many of these things as best as we can. And here we have a new one. Maybe we could start digging into uh, Bigfoot uh, or the possibility of Bigfoot in uh, in Mexico, Central America, or South America. Who knows what we're going to uncover? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's all great. It's all great. And thank you. What was her name? Louisa? Louisa. Louisa. Thank you, Louisa. And keep listening to our podcast. Yeah, buenas noches. Yes, buenas noches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and from Mexico, in our next letter, we go way up north to where I'm going to be venturing out to in about uh, six weeks or so. We have a note from Ned in Ketchikan, Alaska. Wow. Uh, yeah, pretty cool stuff. He says... I've read all of your books and look forward to the next. You're spot on with these Canadian Lakes accounts. I have heard about many such sightings over the years, and you are the first which has documented such things so well. So thank you. Wow. Are you are you planning any audio versions? And if not, I hope you will consider that. Apparently, uh, Ned uh, missed our last podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> Ned... Uh, I was saying uh, on the last podcast, I'm just about to put the wraps on my first audio book. And that was also done in response to uh, readers reaching out to me and saying to do this. I'm an old timer. Uh, to me, an audio book was a non-event. I figured nobody would buy these things. And, well, it turns out that it seems like more people are doing these audiobooks than are doing or, or reading paperbacks and ebooks. So uh, I'm a little behind the curve, uh, but I promise you I'm doing my due diligence to get every book in audio form, hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, but it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of studio time. Uh, you know, making appointments, showing up, spending two or three hours at a clip in front of the microphone. Uh, then the uh, the technician has to uh, do his work on it, and I have to review it. It's it's a big process, but I'm working on it, and I'm going to get it done. And thanks, Ned. That was awesome. 
Now, cool, the, the other oh, thing, the other thing is, Kev, there is so much activity uh, in and around Canada, and particularly around bodies of water, uh, of which there are just like a gazillion lakes up there, and tributaries, and streams, and rivers, and woods, and fish, and moose, and you name it. I mean, this is just like entering the land of the lost. Uh, so it doesn't shock me at all. Uh, they say everything grows bigger in Texas. Well, I'm here to tell you from what I've heard, everything grows really big uh, in the Canadian wilderness. So uh, we're going to keep knocking on that door, and uh, I'll be laying out for you certainly anything that comes my way. Yeah, and when we were living out in uh, eastern Washington, we had some friends that were Canadian, you know, but lived down in eastern Washington, and we would go up and stay with them at their cabin up in, uh, as they call it, beautiful British Columbia. And I'll tell you what, it was so rural up there on the lakes, spectacular, and truly so dark at night that you could not see your hand in front of your face. Uh, I remember trying out that, you know, cliche to see if it was true. Yeah. And you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It's just so dark. Wow, that is intense. So rural. And could you imagine being out in that wilderness alone or even with other people in that type of darkness and hearing something prowling around or hearing some bizarre howl start ripping off into the woods and you're left there thinking, what the heck did I get into out here? <laughs> I could, you know, of course, it never happened to me, but I could see that happening and me thinking, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you have to you have to kind of play into some of the accounts that people bring forth and try to put yourselves in their shoes in the moment. Uh, you know, I joked when we did the account, the fight. And I said, yeah, if you were a real man, you would have rowed closer to shore. <laughs> and, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there who really think they're hard asses. You have no conception of what we're dealing with. This thing would rip you limb from limb and beat you into a pancake before you knew what hit you. Yeah, and you're out. You know, a lot of these accounts like the fight, you're out in the wilderness. You know, there's nowhere to run. Uh, certainly from a creature like that. So, you know, that's that's something to keep in mind. Like I said, you know, we're going up to Alaska for a little bit of a getaway. And uh, although I would love to see something up there, see Bigfoot up there on an encounter, I've also terrified to even think about, you know, running <laughs> into the creature in the middle of nowhere. Well, Kev, I don't think the bride will feel the same way. <laughs> oh my well, goodness all right and you mentioned uh big things in texas so our last uh uh email comes from trevor in east texas oh wow and get this so trevor says i've personally seen a bigfoot down here in what is known as the big thicket uh, and he saw it while he was out with a group of locals who actually hunt for them. And he said, it changed my life. I bet it changed his life, right? Wow. Can you imagine? I, I wonder if he's talking about hunt as in boom, 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 or hunt as in looking for them. Yeah, it's a good question. He doesn't lead on it as, at all. He does close the letter by saying, uh, when is your next book coming out, Bill, if there is one? Wow. Well, Two things. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, uh, book seven will probably be out by the end of this month. Uh, but once again, Trevor, I've asked that if you've seen something, say something. Uh, I'm encouraging you to contact me via the contact link on our webpage. Again, it's BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Uh, I'd like to hear some more information about what you've seen in the Big Thicket. Now, this Big Thicket place, Kev, is uh, an area in Texas where uh, quite a few people uh, apparently go in there and have had sightings of the hairy man, uh, and there's some really strange goings on in that place. 
Uh, and uh, not too long ago, I was hearing somebody talk about some of this area uh, as though it was almost impenetrable in spots. And perhaps that's why they call it the thicket. Uh, I don't know what comprises the woods down there, but it must be like trying to get through a briar patch. Yeah, yeah, I was actually uh, thinking of uh, briar rabbit. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> don't don't throw me in the briar patch. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, I, there's there's a lot of sightings too in Texas in general. Um, you know, so like you said, I'm not familiar with the big thicket, being a relative newcomer. Um, but we'll have to we'll have to do some uh, cryptids in the news from down uh, down in the big thicket in East Texas. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. There's just so much material and so many sightings and findings uh, that uh, the material is virtually endless for those who want to dig and scratch and claw. Uh, to uh, bring the information to the surface. And, of course, we know there's everybody out there that says, ah, this is a lot of malarkey. Yeah, well, good for you. Uh, tune into Fairy Tale Radio next time and watch, <laughs> watch Cinderella and Prince Charming dancing around, all right? <laughs> I really I have no stomach for that stuff. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, you mentioned some of the folks that we're big fans of um, and some of the folks, same folks that helped us out getting this podcast going. And I'll ask again to the folks out there listening. First off, thank you for listening to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. As you can tell, we're having some fun doing this as well. And uh, please leave us a review uh, on your favorite podcast uh, site, podcast source. Uh, and a lot of you have done that so far, and all the reviews are great. So uh, please continue to uh, just take a moment of your precious time and leave us a review. Yeah, and tell your friends to listen to us too or else. <laughs> Don't make me unleash Fang Fang from his shed. <laughs> <laughs> and in closing, thanking you once again for joining us, may I once again remind you of just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. Thank <laughs> you.